I want to welcome everyone. Tonight, the finishing up this book. An international conference on the theme, Karl Marx in Our Time, The Struggle for Peace and Social Progress. Berlin, German Democratic Republic, April 12, 1983. It is a pleasure and honor to be here on this proud occasion. I bring you the warm, fraternal greetings of the Communist Party, USA, and I want to express the deep appreciation of the Central Committee of our party for your invitation to participate in this unique international gathering celebrating the centenary of Karl Marx. We want to thank the Socialist Unity Party and the people of the GDR for your splendid initiative, for your warm welcome and hospitality, and for making our stay in your great socialist country both enjoyable and productive. The true value of any science is constantly weighed and tested as to whether it is a living, growing, expanding, deepening body of thought. Does it continue to be a true reflection and expression of the ever-changing essence of reality? In the deepest sense, the revolutionary science to which Karl Marx gave birth, that Frederick Engels enlarged and Vladimir I. Lenin so creatively extended and developed, meets the most critical test of a science for our lives and times. Because the class struggle is the eye of the hurricane created by class-divided society, it is no surprise, therefore, that the struggle between the two main classes even determines how the centenary year of Karl Marx is being observed. As is to be expected, one class is commemorating and the other is commiserating about the life and work of Karl Marx, expressing the viewpoints of their opposite class interests. One class sees Marx as its great liberator, who gave it the weapons for victorious class struggle. The other sees him as public enemy number one. As the date of the Marx centenary anniversary approached, Monopoly mouthpieces in the United States began pouring out scathing scandal stories about Karl Marx. Big business and government spokesmen began wailing and flailing that the specter of Marx still stalks the capitalist world. Speaking for U.S. Monopoly capital, President Ronald Reagan is leading the pack of ideological hyenas. He took to the stump and the pulpit to denounce, to slander, to lie, and vilify, most of all, to try to bury the specter that is more than ever haunting the corporate boardrooms, the executive suites on Wall Street, the editorial offices of the newspapers, the newsrooms of radio and TV. We are marking the centenary of Marx's passing, but it seems that U.S. monopoly capital is lamenting the living Marx, who they hate and fear because he is more alive today than 100 years ago. Reagan, with no earthly, reasonable arguments to defend his insane doomsday policies, and devoid of any intelligent or even logical-sounding charges against Marxism-Leninism and real socialism, has taken the road of last resort. It is the road of all political and ideological scoundrels and charlatans. It is the big lie hoax to hoodwink people on emotional and religious levels. Reagan has declared an all-out hell-and-brimstone holy war 
against Marxism-Leninism and existing socialism. Hypocritically and demagogically, Reagan has evangelically proclaimed that Marxism-Leninism is the root of all sin and evil in the world, that the Soviet Union and the other socialist countries are the focus of evil in the modern world, that they are evil empires. Reagan has embarked on an anti-communist crusade with the fanaticism of an inquisition, with libellous litanies couched in Cold War overtones. Reagan is attempting to cover up his policies of all-out imperialist aggression, nuclear confrontation, and nuclear superiority. He is criminally gambling with the lives of the whole human family and the world all in the name of God. Standing history on its head, truth upside down, whistling in the capitalist graveyard, Reagan has pronounced that communism is another sad, bizarre chapter in human history. Under the spell of this conjured-up anti-communist obsession, Reagan rants that the capitalist world can meet the present challenge only if it has as much faith in God as the communists have faith in man. If Karl Marx were here with us today, he would have given an appreciative chuckle and replied, Yes, nothing that is human is alien to me. Placing the real challenge, Marx would have said, Yes, I have faith in human beings, and I have a special faith and confidence in the working class, the truly revolutionary class that will bring about a truly humane society. I want to remind people, that this book was written in 1983. And it's important, the world in 83 was a little different, but the same, in my opinion, as the world today. The class forces were still the same. And if you just take away the word Reagan, and if you put down Trump, it fits in. At the United Nations three weeks ago, Trump declared that socialism was the enemy. And he said to the U.S. Congress, that the United States will never become socialist. The Reagans may rant and rave, while Wall Street will keep denying it, and Monopoly Capital will keep covering it up. The stubborn reality is that our U.S. capitalist society is undeviatingly developing along the lines foreseen by Marx. This is so because U.S. capitalism is the product of the very law-governed processes uncovered by Marx. As ironic as it may seem, Wall Street and its corporate galaxies, and now Ronald Reagan, provide the most convincing testimony to the perceptive genius of Karl Marx in focusing his keen insight on the class struggle. For Karl Marx, in the overall scheme of things, the class struggle is the axis around which all other processes in society revolve. The class struggle in the socioeconomic sphere can be linked to the critical mass in nature which influences everything and is, in turn, influenced by everything. What nuclear fields of force are to nature, the class struggle is to class-divided human societies. Were they alive today, Marx, Engels, and Lenin would not be the least bit surprised about U.S. developments. They would see the deterioration and the crises as the results of the inevitable byproducts of the law-governed processes they probed and clarified. 
The next one, the U.S. economy. Remember, if you watch the news, every day the stock market goes up 300, goes down 400, goes up 100, goes down 600. This is in 1983 this was written. As we're reading this, think about what I just said. It shows you that capitalism, as one of the comrades said before, has never changes. It constantly goes in cycles, and eventually the cycles will stop. Thank you. The U.S. Economy The U.S. economy is suffering from a mixture of continually recurring, short-range, cyclical crises imposed on a long-range chronic decline and contradiction of the overall structural framework. It is suffering from a declining, stagnating industrial complex and a fast-decaying urban infrastructure. Translated into human suffering, it means our country is still in the gridlock grip of an economic emergency. While Reagan keeps repeating that our economy is on the mend, that we are on the road to recovery, the fact is the U.S. economy is not on the road to any solid stable upturn. In fact, for the American people, it is another continuing Great Depression. As hard-won economic cushions like unemployment, welfare, and social security checks run out, millions are being thrown into the streets, on soup lines, and in shelters for the homeless and hungry. 30 million of our people are partially or totally jobless. Four million Americans have literally taken to the road in a fruitless search for work. Soup lines and shelters are forced to turn away more hungry and homeless people than they can care for. Whole towns and sections of cities have become economic disaster areas, while industrial plants continue to shut down and move out. Basic smokestack industries are sick and literally dying. Joblessness is causing people to lose their homes, their cars, their farms, their personal possessions, and increasingly their sanity and their lives. Corporate poisoning of the environment, of homes, rivers, and lakes is adding frightening hardships and serious health hazards to the economic burdens. One out of every five children goes to sleep hungry. Malnutrition and infant mortality are on the rise. In some economically depressed cities, the infant mortality rate is on the same level as Honduras, one of the poorest countries in the world. Basic services such as education, health, and childcare have been cut to the bone. Programs such as Social Security are being crippled, while expenditures for nuclear and other weapons of mass destruction are rising by two trillion every five years. These anti-human developments are fully in keeping with the capitalist pattern so brilliantly exposed and laid out by Marx, Engels, and Lenin. The next paragraph is something called State Monopoly Capitalism. I don't know if many people have heard that term before. State Monopoly Capitalism In keeping with Lenin's far-reaching projections of state monopoly capitalism, 
the U.S. government increasingly becomes the crushing arm of big business. The state more and more directly controls and dominates society in every area of life in their own selfish interests in their mad drive for maximum corporate profits. Here again, the United States is a showcase example of how the state becomes directly involved in the attempt to overcome the special effects of the general crisis of world capitalism, which Lenin so clearly explained. The ever-deepening general economic, political, social, and moral crisis we are going through is not momentary. It is a chronic condition, which is the direct result of the long-range, decaying, structural crisis of capitalism. The decline and contradiction of capitalism is the product of an inborn, fixed, and law-governed inevitable process. U.S. developments have followed the classical model Karl Marx projected, high employment, widespread poverty, emergence, and rise of huge industrial monopolies, the financial galaxies and conglomerates that now dominate, exploit, and control every area of life in the United States. U.S. capitalism is suffering from the processes that Lenin so aptly called the law of uneven development of capitalism. Let's stop right there. If anybody has any questions. I have personal experience with Reaganomics and the crisis of capitalism. I was born in 1993, basically the height and end of Reaganomics in America as I know it. And I remember from stories about how this personally affected my family. My father owned a small sporting goods store in the Capital District, and because of the economic situation of the time caused by Reaganomics, he had to close. And the only thing I remember is my family basically not having a Christmas that year. This was the case for many families in America. Thank you, comrade. That's very interesting. I saw that Gus mentions the uneven development of capitalism, and I see that term used a lot. Could I have a quick clarification as to what that is? Basically, in the socialist development, it's more even, stable. In the capitalist development, somebody connected here who knows this guy here and has a friend here in the government, they're going to get ahead of everybody. That's what he means. It's kind of like a jungle. You could also argue that's not really how it is because it is controlled to a certain extent, as we mentioned, by this corruption. Capitalism is very uneven. It's so unstable that every 10 years there is a recession or depression. And I think how we win and open more eyes is by pointing this out, is that if we point out people are having to delay their lives because of the system that is easily replaceable with a socialist movement, then we can win power. And I'd also like to reiterate what the comrade before me said about England expanding. Ever so often, after capitalism is fully created in the country, they expand. It's imperialism. We know it's tied to it. England did it, and the U.S. has done it in many different ways. And if we point out that imperialism and war and death is tied to capitalism, all in the name of profits for a few, then I think we can win power. And it's important to note it is very uneven that people are having to delay their lives because of this terrible system. Thank you, Cameron.
Marx's wise counsel that labor cannot emancipate itself in the white skin or in the black skin it is branded has the power of a law for the class struggle, for the struggle against racism and the relationship between them. Because the working class is the only true revolutionary class, it is the key component in all fields of struggle. Increasingly, it is becoming the decisive force in the struggle for democracy. The growing and maturing class consciousness of the working class becomes a critical factor in the struggles for all democratic rights and all bourgeois ideological currents, including racism and chauvinism. Karl Marx is right on target today because the inner laws of socioeconomic processes he revealed are as operative today as they were 100 years ago. For us in the belly of the beast, the class struggle, the monopoly drive for maximum profits, the recurring economic crises, the deepening general crisis, the inevitable objective processes that move history towards socialism and national liberation are law-propelled processes. They are just as valid today as they were in the days of Karl Marx. It is quite understandable that the ruling class ideologues reject all concepts of law-governed processes, because for capitalism, they are the objective rails leading in only one direction, to the garbage dumps of history. It is a little more difficult, however, to understand why individuals, movements, and organizations which profess to oppose capitalism also persist in ignoring this basic law-governed reality, or opportunistically cover it up. Each time this happens, it is a rejection of the objective laws Marx first revealed. The next thing is opportunism. Opportunism. Near the end of the Second World War, our party fought a painful bout with opportunism that was directed at the basic concepts of Marxism-Leninism. Browderism did not openly reject the laws of capitalism, which Marx discovered. Browder said only that they did not apply to U.S. capitalism. He theorized that the United States and the world had so changed that one could actually convince U.S. monopoly capital to voluntarily give up some of its stolen wealth in the interests of the nation and the people. Browder concluded that Marxism-Leninism does not apply, that there are no precedents in history, or in the Marxist classics, which give us the answers. From The Communist, February 1944. Browder claimed, Old formulas and old prejudices are going to be of no use whatever to us as guides to find our way in the new world. We must be ready to sacrifice our prejudices, our ideologies, and our special interests. Class divisions or political groupings have no significance now. January 1944. In other words, the class struggle, Marxism-Leninism, class partisanship, and the Communist Party had become, in Browder's fantasy world, obsolete. Browder's idea of an exceptional ruling class and capitalism was expressed in his statement that the decisive sections of American capitalists have abandoned the old policy of hard-boiled reaction and imperialism, from Political Affairs, February 1945. And finally, as is always the case with opportunism, Browder reached the bottom of the barrel when he came up with 
Here we are in the United States. We, who are proud to consider ourselves disciples of Lenin, are in practice collaborating with capital and firmly denouncing those who advocate a class war against capital in the United States. From Political Affairs, January 1945. The Cold War dramatically punctured that opportunistic illusion. As is to be expected, the ideas of Marx prevailed. The laws of maximum corporate profits, of the class struggle, of imperialism. Marxism-Leninism will triumph. Frederick Engels said that opportunistic deviations from the path of the class struggle are usually accompanied by a rejection or revision of the objective laws of capitalist development. Opportunism is a negation of the Marxist concept of law-governed processes, replacing it with subjectively motivated actions and policies. This is a convenient cover because a Marxist-Leninist basing oneself on the science must keep abreast of what is new and must reflect on and respond to all new questions. But the science of Marxism-Leninism makes it possible not only to see what is new, it is also a guide that tells us how to look at what is new. Here, opportunism and Marxism-Leninism part company. Capitalism gives rise to new phenomena, but the new never replaces the basic essence of classes, class exploitation, and the class struggle. These are constants within capitalism. As long as there is capitalism, the new situations will never be able to develop outside of the class reality. The new will not be able to exist alone or to ignore the system of class exploitation and the irreconcilable class antagonisms. The new will always develop within the general arena of the class struggle. In all situations, opportunism maneuvers to take the new outside of this class framework. Opportunism is a negation of working class partisanship by replacing it with concepts of class collaboration and class partnership. Opportunism is a negation of the objective laws that sustain the class struggle on center stage and the special advance role assigned to the working class. In its basic essence, opportunism is an accommodation to the pressures of the class enemy. Furthermore, the accommodation is always at the expense of the working class. To go back to the part on the boom-bust era that we're in now is also like we were in at this time in 83, although in a different spot of the curve. I think we have to remember a lot of thinking went into this, and Gus Hall was great on being able to have a political economy critique on the society at the time. He was really good at that, and it's something to learn from. Thank you. The recurring theme that I keep seeing the more I study Marxism is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Same crap that Lenin saw, we've still got. The same crap that Gus Hall saw in 83, we've still got. And I think the question is, okay, so there are all these problems with capitalism, but somehow we've got to get people to jump from observing the problem to agreeing that 
Marxism-Leninism is the way out of the problem. Because, as it stands, a lot of people still fundamentally believe in reformism and all this stuff. They're stuck on the idea, as articulated by Margaret Thatcher, that there is no alternative. And I don't know how we get past that. That's the challenge. Thank you. I listened to a lot of what the comrades had to say about being born in an era where Reaganomics was at the beginning. It was very young at the time, and not being able to explain it to people. And I have similar experience because I was born after the Korean War, which was not really a war. I had my reasons, but try to explain that to somebody why you were not for police action in Korea when you're 10 years old is very interesting. Thank you. A lot of people on here have the misconception that if we merely inform people about what we've discussed, that they will immediately become socialists. And this is wishful thinking. It's important to understand that it was that easy. It would have already been done. You must conceive the levels of propaganda and false mass consciousness that this country is in steep. As for the subject matter, I can definitely see the parallels. And it's a very important discussion to be had, especially considering the presence of artificial echo chambers of debate created by the media and monopolized corporations. And that definitely serves as a possible tool to outline to young communists the hypocrisy and unspoken contradictions of capitalism. Okay, comrades, we're going to call for an adjournment. I want to thank everybody for taking time out of their busy schedule. Good night. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org. If you'd like to support us, our partner publishing house can be found at newoutlookpublishers.net.